Fatherhood is fascinating. One day you're dad of the year, and the next day is, well, the next day. Welcome to Positively Dad, a podcast designed to help dads embrace the journey. Thank you for joining us for Positively Dad. My name's James Shaw, and I'm your host. I'm excited that you decided to join us today. I'm a dad just like you. My wife, Terry, and I have a seven-year-old daughter. Her name is Naomi, and she'll join us at the end of the podcast today for the Kids' Corner. She does that every week, and so I encourage you to stick around for that. And Positively Dad is all about helping dads become better dads, partners, and men. And each week, uh, we do two different podcasts. The one you're listening to right now is where I'm talking to an expert or someone who's gaining attention nationwide to look at something specific so that we can educate ourselves and grow um, and, and get better. And then every Thursday, I do a dad talk episode where I just interview a dad about being a dad. So those are our two weekly episodes, and I encourage you to check those out. And, and, and here's the goal for Positively Dad is to be a resource for you. Seven years ago, when I found out I was going to be a father, I said, I want to be a great one. So I went and looked for resources to help me do that. You know, looking at magazines, going on Twitter, looking at websites and blogs. And basically everything I found is for mom. It's like 90-10 mom to dad ratio out there. And so uh, there's a few podcasts out for dads and we're new on the scene and I trust we're adding value to you because the goal is to connect with dads and help us become better as parents. And so today we're going to look at something that, that, again, you probably haven't thought about, and that's the goal of Positively Dad. Here we are at the end of July. School's going to start for us in about three weeks. And, um, and as, I, as I think about Naomi going into second grade, you know, I haven't really looked at what's happening for teachers. And the truth is, if you look at any of the research out there, there's a lot of research that shows that, that being a teacher is really, really, really difficult. There's a lot of things that go on inside and outside the classroom that are impacting them. We've heard about pay being an issue in places before, all sorts of things. In fact, each year about 16% of teachers leave. That's what one study says, 16% annual turnover in teachers. Now, another study said that, that while some of those teachers are retiring, about 90% of those teachers who leave, leave for other reasons and leave the profession. They're, they're not happy with teaching. They're, they don't like what's going on in the school. Maybe it is about pay. Who knows? Well, here's what, for a parent, for me, I hear that and I go, this is an issue because, because you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting the school and I'm turning over my child to the school in what I believe is a joint partnership, right? So I, I, my responsibility as a parent is to teach, educate, raise and, and help shape this young person who's living inside my house, and I'm trusting the school to do the same thing. Well, if some of the best teachers are leaving year after year because they're dissatisfied with pay or what's happening in, the, in, in schools, you know, as far as a focus or, or what's happening in their classroom, well, we should pay attention to that. And we would like the great teachers to stay, the ones who are sticking it out and who are amazing. We'd love them to be so satisfied and so happy that they never have a reason to even think about leaving. So there's one teacher who quit who really got my attention because her reason for quitting got the attention of the country. I mean, it was shared like a quarter of a million times on Facebook about why she quit. Her name is Jessica Gentry. She was a kindergarten teacher until this summer when she turned in her resignation and quit. And in a post on Facebook that went viral, she says, it's not for the reason you think. Here's part of what she says, quote, I think it's easier for people to believe that I left teaching because of the lousy pay. 
It was easier for my former HR director to believe it was because I found something that I was more passionate about. Some would allow them to assume that. Let them be comfortable in their assumptions because your truth may lead to discomfort for others. Well, I'm not some, and that ain't me. And so I reached out to her and said, I'd like to have you on. I think parents need to hear what's happening in our classrooms and why you left. And as we always do, this is an open mind conversation. You know, some of you are going to listen and go, you know what? She needed to get out of the classroom. And I think Jessica would say that she did. And others would go, hey, is there a deeper issue here that we need to look at? And I think as parents, we should look at it. She goes on to say in her post, which by the way, we will share on our social media pages on Twitter and, and, and Facebook so that you can read it and understand it at your level. She goes on to say this, quote, my mental and physical health was in jeopardy every single day. Knowing that your kids need and deserve more than they're getting, sitting in one meeting after another, begging for support, only to be told, don't lose sleep over them. Now, people are telling teachers that in our schools, that's an issue. And we as parents have a role in it, teachers have a role in it, and schools have a role in it. So today, we're going to have an open and honest conversation I'm going to ask you to keep an open mind. Let's reserve judgment and just hear the perspective from this one teacher. So, Jessica, thank you so much for joining us on Positively Dad. Thanks for having me. Thanks for reaching out. Yeah, my pleasure. So you have definitely gotten, you know, you've captured some people's attention with what, what you posted on Facebook about why you were going to leave teaching. And, in fact, we, we're going to post that, your post, on all our social media platforms so people can read it and, and kind of understand and, and here's what I got from it. There's several different reasons why you said this just isn't good for you. You know, some things from the school, some things from parents, just and, and kind of generationally. Talk with me a little bit about why you said, you know what, I just have to step away. Well, there were a lot of factors. Um, but really what it boiled down to, it was kind of building um, for, I guess, the second half of my career. So I was a kindergarten teacher for all of my 12 years. Um, and prior to having my own daughter, I didn't really have the perspective of parents. Um, I didn't really have the perspective of, you know, that the first couple of years I would get there early and, and stay late. And I didn't really have anyone relying on me otherwise until she came along. And kind of that type A perfectionist personality. And when you are a teacher, you know that you're there for the kids and they deserve 100% of you. But when you have your own, there becomes this major tug. <laughs> um, and so it wasn't until, like I knew that things had changed and I knew that my, own, my students weren't getting what they needed um, anymore. And that was starting to weigh on me just with or without a child of my own knowing that they were coming to me with trauma from home, um, social media influences that were out of their control, and language barriers. And some were coming from war-stricken areas of the world, and we just were not able to or willing to. I'm not quite sure yet what, <laughs> what side I fall on that yet. Um, to meet them, to be able to meet them where they were and really do a good job of educating the whole child and not just focusing on academics. And so I really started struggling with that. And then when my own daughter came along, she, she'll be seven on Sunday. It even, it, it got even heavier for me. Hmm. So um, March of this year, 
Um, my boyfriend, he, we were long distance. He moved in with me and it was good for like a month or so. And then finally one day he said, Jess, he said, I, I never saw how much of a toll this took on you because I didn't see you after school every single day. He said, when we get home, it's like triage trying to, you know, navigate what the right thing to say is, you know, what you need help with, if you need, you know, 20 minutes to yourself. And in that moment, immediately I thought to myself, my child has been living this for seven years. Mm. And so that kind of was the, the line in the sand. <laughs> so you said you're out for your own well-being and for your daughter's well-being and for your relationship, right? So that you, that, that, that right. would survive and work. And right. in your in your post, you kind of broke you broke it down as to why this happened to you. And and I think it would be fair to guess that if you were experiencing this as a teacher, certainly it's not true for all teachers. In fact, I'm sure you probably heard from other teachers who say you're way off base. You should get out anyway. Right. Um, yes. And, yes. <laughs> and then the, I imagine there are many teachers who reach out to you and say, thank you, because I'm feeling the same thing. And I just didn't know what to say. Would that be fair? Yeah, so I, I definitely got both sides. Um, I got a lot of, well, um, you know, your heart wasn't in it, and we don't need more teachers like you in the profession. I'm, you know, glad the, the door hits you in the bottom. Mm -hmm. um, and then I got a lot, probably, I'd say 90% of the responses were, this is exactly how I feel. I'm just afraid to say anything. Well, it's their livelihood, it's their income, right. it's their career, and it's what they're passionate about. And and you were in a spot that you could just hang it up and go, I'm out, right? And go pursue right. another option for you. So the reason right. that I wanted to have you on, when I found your post last week and I reached out to you and, and said, we got to have you on, is because you broke this down into a couple of things. And, and you know, keep in mind, our audience is dads, right? And I have a lot of moms right. that listen to, and yet I'm, I'm, my goal is to talk to dads. And like you, I have a seven-year-old, right? She's going into second grade. And uh -huh. so we've done the <laughs> kindergarten in the first grade. And it's so fascinating to watch, um, to, to see different things that you talked about. One thing you talked about in here was the, the, that a lot of people are saying, and we hear this all the time, that kids are different now. And you argue that's not actually true, that kids are just kids. Talk with me more a little bit about that. So I think that, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, when you really step back and, and build relationships with these kids, um, which is 100%, you know, my favorite part of, of teaching, I feel like anyone can kind of open a book and, and teach from a textbook, but it takes a lot of, you know, heart and um, just intentionality to build relationships with kids. And so the last 12 years, I've seen a lot of things change. And what hasn't changed are their, their hearts and just the way they, they interpret things and navigate things. And once you, once you break it down and explain why things are happening, typically kids are like, oh, oh, okay. And the temper tantrums and things like that go away. Um, so I, I think it's easier um, for adults, teachers, parents, society, every adult I feel like is, is guilty at some level of this to shift blame um, because it's uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable to think that the things that my child goes out into the world and believe me, she's not perfect. Um, and when she has interactions with peers that are not rosy and rainbowy, I played a role in that. Right. <laughs> and so I think that it's, it's more comfortable for us to kind of say the kids have changed um, 
not the system or not our approaches or not our, you know, whatever you want to assign. Um, and I think we do that just human nature across the board. We, we assign blame in other places. Well, what you said was that um, we're working more hours. I mean, our very first podcast that we launched was about how dads are way more involved now than mm-hmm. generations ago, which I'm sure you saw as a teacher that you had dads coming in and helping in the classroom, stuff like that. Um, and, and that really came out of necessity because more moms are working now right. than they had to, cause we need two income families. So you've got, you've got, um, that going on. Then you've got technology. Mm-hmm. We did a podcast on, uh, I talked to a, a guy who wrote a book called the new childhood who talked about tech in a child's life right now. And that, you know, screens aren't going anywhere. So we have to teach them how to have a healthy relationship with those screens. Right. And I mean, you're just teaching in a different time than when you and I were in kindergarten. And right. and what you talked about was a little bit that maybe, and you're not saying all parents are like this. You're just saying that it might be more common now that just there's so much going on in a parent's life that they might be doing less parenting. Is that basically what you're saying? Well, that there's just some situations I feel like they're just not able to. We've created, like you said, it, it's a necessity um, in some situations to be out of the household. Um, different hours than what it was when we were little. Um, And I think there's a lot of push to to keep up with other households and do what other, you know, moms and dads do. And there's this pressure that, well, such and such lets their child do this, and I don't want to be the bad person for saying no. And I think there's so much stigma associated to kind of, saying no and and having boundaries and, and just being okay with with being the mean mom or the or the mean dad um, because there were a lot of times that were very obvious to me you know 12 years ago and my 12th year that some of these kiddos had never heard no where that was the absolute answer that there wasn't a um, you know let me try a different angle <laughs> Um, and so then that is where a lot of the breakdowns happen in the first couple of weeks of school. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I feel like we see it, I feel like it's, it's commented on um, social media a lot when you talk about like Walmarts or Targets and the tantrums that you see and things like that. Um, but I just, I feel like everyone craves boundaries, adults and kids alike. Um, and so where that first no may be, you know, like ripping the Band-Aid off, once they, they know that what you, like your word is a solid thing that they can rely on, they're, they're going to respect that. Clarity is kindness um, for all ages. So you're saying you had five-year-olds coming into your classroom who had never been told no, and so then their response, I, I guess I'm saying, could you tell the difference between children who are coming into your classroom who had been told no and children who hadn't. Oh, absolutely. And you, I, I feel like they all kind of, the first couple of weeks, you kind of shake things out for, for everyone. Like you're getting to know each other. Um, and you can definitely tell early on um, because kids are, like I said, kids are kids. They haven't changed. Um, and when I was little, I know that if I was around someone new, I was going to see where their boundaries were. And so I think that is something that every single kindergartner would do in my classroom, all 21. Um, but then the difference would be once they realized 
the ones that had been told no and no meant no, once they realized that I followed the same, you know, the same uh, philosophy, no means no, there was never another, you know, trying to manipulate or, or push or, you know, like weasel their way. Like just that, that natural kid curiosity. Kids, kids are going to usually not take no for an answer until they know that that is, there's not going to be wavering. Um, but the kids who never had never heard no, and especially never heard no from someone who meant it, um, and someone who in the first couple of weeks is, is a stranger, the relationship's just not there yet. Um, and so that is mind-blowing for a child who has to now navigate that in an uncomfortable situation around peers that they don't know, um, and they don't know that they're not, they don't feel safe there yet. And so it, it has a whole host of, of ways that it kind of comes out in the classroom setting. Interesting. And so then you, you go into part of the reason to step away is the focus on the school, quite frankly, isn't always about the student. Right. Mm-hmm. So talk to me a little bit about that, because I'm sure you got some pushback there. Yeah. So I think that... Now, I'm not, like, well-versed in um, magnet schools or charter schools or any of that. I kind of try to just stick to what I know, and, you know, this is where I was going to teach, and my child was going to go to public school, so I didn't do a lot of, you know, searching around. But parents parents shop I, for schools. I've seen it in my own school. They, um, they do kindergarten tours at the end of the year where, where parents come into classrooms, and they stand <laughs> and watch you like you are on display while you have your actual students there. Um, but it, even on a bigger scale, we, we have these other options now, the magnet schools, the charter schools, the private schools, and things like that. And so I think that just like families are trying to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, I think schools are doing the same thing um, and, and not for the benefit of the kids, even though... I get the root of what they're doing, the heart of what they're doing is to, you know, to, to please parents and, and keep kids here and do what's best, so to speak. I think that they're trying to always do the next big or best thing. Um, and like I said in my post, it looks good on the website. Um, technology looks good on the website. We are moving in that direction as a society. Um, and like you said at the very beginning, when we started talking, it, it is important. Um, kids need to know how to use things and, um, and that type of thing. But I think it got to the point where um, after I resigned from my 12-year position, I did um, interview at another division, the county surrounding my city. And one of the last questions they asked, they said, oh, I almost forgot. Um, this is really important to us. How are you with technology? And I remember sitting there and I was like, oh, (laughs) well, to be honest, you know, I struggled with um, figuring out how to be on this podcast. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm not, I'm not that great with it. But when it comes to enhancing a lesson, you know, I can figure it out. But when it comes to just using it to use it, which is kind of where we were, we were heading, I have a hard time with that. Um, When you use something just for the sake of saying that you have that in your lesson, you've, you've lost the integrity of what you're doing. It feels like the schools are going around going, we have a tablet for every kid, when yes. maybe what we should be teach, saying is we're teaching them how to be able to use this tool in their life in a positive way. And right. that might sound really fluffy, 
the the truth is though i mean if, if people go back and listen the it's the the podcast episode is called the screen time debate and i interviewed jordan shapiro who wrote the new childhood and he said here here's what happens you you have a seven-year-old i have a seven-year-old i imagine you've done play dates at the playground just like we've done play dates at the playground right and and when you do a play date at the playground with your daughter especially when she was younger right a little less now when you would do it when she was younger you had to teach her the social rules of the playground. Like you don't cut in front of somebody on the slide and you don't push right. people out of the way as you're going up the stairs. And, and you know, you, you say, excuse me. And if somebody knocks into you, they didn't do it on purpose. Like you have to teach them how to behave on the playground, right? Would you agree? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, you didn't go take your, your daughter and drop her off at the playground <laughs> and say, good luck and I'll be back in an hour. Right, no. Right, okay, all right. <laughs> Yet with our screens, what we do is we give them the tablet and go, good luck. I'll take it back from you in an hour. And, yes. and, and, and in school, if I, and, and again, I don't, I'm not pushing a narrative. I'm just thinking out loud. If, if we're going, well, we have a tablet for every kid. Hey, that's great. What are they doing on it? How is it helping them? What are they doing to grow and get better? How does it add to their educational value as opposed to, look, we have a tablet. I mean, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Are you saying the same thing? Right. And when you think of that one-to-one technology, the other thing that I think sometimes gets forgotten is when you have 21 students and it's one-to-one, what is, what is being taken away from academically for that teacher, that one adult <laughs> in the classroom, to make it intentional for all 21 at the same time? Like, what are we missing? Um, as she's running from tablet to tablet, <laughs> trying to make sure that they're, you know, doing what they're supposed to be doing or that they know how to, you know, navigate and operate and all of that. Um, but yeah, absolutely. It's taken away. Um, I, I think it's, it has its benefits. And like you said, there's so much value in teachable moments, um, being able to provide those lessons and rules and, you know, know-how in the moment that I, I, I don't know. We got to the point where our students were listening to, to books on the iPads, um, some monotone voices. They were not learning, you know, voice and intonation and, and meaning and things like that from, from the iPads. And meanwhile, our read aloud time was being decreased. Um, so I, I do think that intentionality has to be in the forefront when we're using technology because you're, you're losing something. If you're put, when you add something to a child's day, you're losing something else. And I don't think that we're asking enough questions about what it is that we're taking away. Yeah, we're just given a tablet possibly and, and we're not understanding mm -hmm. what are they doing or how is it adding value. Now, right. the, the next thing I wanted to ask you about was you said, hey, we need our parents to be partners. And mm -hmm. and this is something, this is common. I, you know, I was at, at my daughter's school. I, I served on their, their parent advisory council, right? And every school has one. And the school's always saying we want parents to be partners. And we had a lot of that at her school. Um, what do you mean by that? Because I, I, I got the sense that you just felt like that there was not a there was not a connection oftentimes between the school and the parent. Right. So when I was preparing for this um, and thinking, you know, who my audience was, I, I was like, Jess, you have to really think about true examples of of connected parents um, for, you know, for the parents that are listening. 
So I have, I can visualize three over the course of 12 years, and um, I feel like it's really important for me to set up who their kiddos were, because I think it's easy for us to say, oh, well, these parents were helpful because, you know, their child never got in trouble, whatever. Um, so I try to have three very different kiddos in mind to speak to this. Um, I had one one year who was suspended 10 times in the first 18 days as a kindergartner. His behavior was um, difficult to say the least and had experienced some trauma um, at home. And mom herself had um, a very negative school experience when she was younger and kind of carried that into present day. And so I remember looking at her um, when we had suspended him probably the eighth or ninth time and she was just completely broken, frustrated. And I looked at her and I said, I am not giving up on him, but I need you not to give up on me. Like this is gonna get a little bit messy. Um, this doesn't make me love him any less, but you know, you have goals for him and I have goals for him. And as long as, as long as we can do this together, and you know that my best interest, or my interest is his, you know, best interest, we're gonna be fine. And by November, um, all of that behavior stopped. He cried when he left on the last day of school, never was, was never suspended again. Um, and mom, like, had a completely different outlook on, on school. Um, another one was, she was, she was a great kid. I never had any issues with her. Um, but mom would would email and say, you know, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure she's not doing, you know, A, B, C, and D? And just checked in and um, conferences were light and, and airy. And um, if I needed material, she was like, can I send extra? And not that that's expected, but it's just, so it's polar opposite from, from sometimes the other experiences of we're out to get kids. Um, there is a mom, oh, I still, I still keep in touch with her and see her at the ball fields and he's, I think 13 now, which is crazy, mm -hmm. but he was scrappy. He was a scrappy kid. He got in a, I told, I called her one day and, you know, we have to have uncomfortable conversations with parents. And there are times when I didn't want to make a phone call. I just wanted to act like it didn't happen because I knew it was going to be uncomfortable, but I called her and, you know, I said, um, he got in a fight today. He, uh, this is what happened. He was really remorseful. And I waited for her response. And she said, so, you know, what, what happened from that? And I said, well, we talked about it. I said, he, you know, sat for me for about five minutes and then we, we moved on. And she, you know, she said, we're going to talk when we get home. And I knew that she, that she did that. And by the end of the phone call, we were, we were laughing, you know, like totally fine. Um, and I just, I feel like those three parents, it could have gone completely different directions, but for whatever reason, they held on to the knowledge or like the understanding that their child is better because, you know, they, they are not planting the seed in their own minds or their child's minds that we're out to get them, that their teacher is out to get them. I was gonna say, I have had the total opposite where kids have come to school and told me, you know, my mom said that, that you're mean and that you don't like me and that I don't have to listen to you. And that just puts a kid in a situation that they should never have to be in. So what, how does a parent become a partner? What, as a teacher, what would you, what advice would you give a parent? Well, I think oftentimes it's, it's the thought that 
you know, you have to volunteer for field trips and you have to send in the things and you have to, um, you know, volunteer and do all that stuff. And I, like I said in my, the first point, that's not realistic anymore. Um, to be able to be there, I couldn't be there in my own kids' classroom because of my job. So I, I think that we need to relieve the pressure. Um, and maybe the stigma that we as parents put on our own selves, that if we don't show up for, you know, baking cookies or field trips that the teacher thinks that we're not involved because we don't, we don't hold you to that standard. Um, what does mean a lot to us is responding to, um, like, field trip forms in a timely manner to where we don't have to send three or four home <laughs> because I, I forget, like I forget too, but just being timely on those things, checking the book bag, um, remembering if you signed up for your child to get a school lunch or a pack lunch for the field trip, um, just staying in the know. You don't have to volunteer and send all the things and, and you know, Valentine's Day, send them the cute little baggies of things. Just keeping up with what your child is doing, um, that's, that's going to be enough. Your child's teacher is going to know. Um, and you're not, at least in my classroom, you were never judged for not being able to, to make a field trip or, or do the before school things or any of that because I wasn't able to do that either. Um, and I don't think that's what makes or breaks the relationship. When a note comes home that there was some behavior, because um, it's going to happen, I, I think that's so important too. I remember my, my principal, when he found out that I was pregnant with Kara, he said, I'm going to tell you, Jeff, he's like, the, one, the number one thing that you need to keep in mind is, regardless of how you raise her, she's going to have teachable moments. <clears throat> there, no child is perfect. And so just keeping that in mind, like, we're not out to get your kid. We don't think your kid is terrible. <laughs> I never, I mean, Kara was in the classroom next door to me. And I remember the very first time she had to sit out at recess and her teacher like looked at me and I said, yes, yes, you absolutely, you know, sit her, you know, sit her little hiney and time out um, because that is what, that is what's building her character and her responsibility. And, you know, in that moment, that's what she needed. Um, and so I think coming in for conferences when you can, um, if you have a question, if, if something doesn't feel right, or if your child comes home and, and tells a story and you're like, ah, before you go above the teacher to the principal to the administration at the school, drop her an email um, and, and give her more than, you know, four hours to respond before you take it further um, because she, they come home and to families too. But I, I think just just treat, it, just treat your child's teacher the way that you would want them to treat you in return, I think is, is huge. Well, aren't we extensions of each other? I mean, right? So, right. so I, yeah. I send Naomi off to school and I trust the school to, to help her become a, a, an amazing um, person in life. And at home, my goal is the exact same thing. And I, my goal is to teach her and develop her and grow her. And that's what you're doing. We're extensions of each other, not adversaries. Right. And I, I think that I think that that's a I think that's kind of a an adopted attitude though too. Like it can go like I said, it can go either way. Um, you you know, like we've all had to 
tell our child, give them a side eye, like, what are you doing? You know, that kind of behavior thing as they've, as, as they've grown, that is just nature of, of what kids are going to do. Um, and so I think coming into it, knowing that when your child is not with you and they're at school with the teachers, if there are things that they're doing that are, that are not becoming, that are less than, than glowing and that they are going to, to work on that in the moment, not, I don't know, I wouldn't want Kara to be allowed to do whatever she wanted from eight until three and then get a detailed list of her, of her misdoings during the day for me to, to take care of later. Um, that doesn't feel good either. So I, I think that just getting to, like, just getting to know your child's teacher, um, staying, staying in the know, talking to your child, you're going to get that vibe um, really early on. And just, yeah, that's what we're here to do. Aside from letters and, and words and reading and math and things like that, we're, we're here for those kids. And that doesn't not include their character and integrity as well. So I'm curious as we wrap up, what's your life been like the last five or six weeks? I mean, I can't imagine that this is the response <laughs> you thought you'd get from a Facebook post to your friends. Right. So it's been interesting. Um, I taught in that same building for 12 years and we've seen a lot of turnover, but I still consider everyone that I left on June 7th to be friends. A lot have been positive. Some of my coworkers have been um, less than positive. One going as far as taking out an editorial in their local newspaper and basically detailing every above and beyond thing that the teachers in that school building do. And I remember seeing it and starting the article by saying that the entire school building was angered and saddened by my post. And I remember reading Sands, the first paragraph, the rest of the article and thinking, yes, I never, never said that teachers don't go above and beyond, never. Um, I agreed 100% with what she said. I had parents from my previous, this past school year, um, two very notably make heinous, disgusting, public um, Facebook posts about me that um, I just had to avoid. I, people were sending me screenshots and I, I had to ask, please do not send this to me. Like. I know who I am as a human. I know who I was in that classroom, and I knew I know who I was to those kids. And some of the things that they oh, it's going to get me emotional. <laughs> some of the things that they accused me of publicly were, I mean, lawsuit worthy, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So that was probably so that part, and then hearing from so many, so 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 many teachers across not only the United States but the world, Australia, England, um, I, I got messages and emails from across the globe, um, heartbreaking things. So I wasn't ready for kind of the, the trauma that that, because it, it is, it's trauma causing, it takes you back to those moments when, when you were cussed at or you were judged unfairly or it just does. So I wasn't ready for that. Um, but you have to get ready <laughs> really fast. Um, but honestly, the day that I walked in, I had the meeting with both of my administrators. I thought I was going to cry because this is, this is all I've ever known. Um, and I didn't. I, I sat there and I told them that 
if I was going to continue to teach and come home um, in the manner in which I had been doing apparently for seven years, that they were going to have to then do trauma-informed care for my own child and that it was not, I I couldn't knowingly (laughs) put her through that that anymore. Um, And so I I didn't cry. I I was very matter of fact. And when I walked out, I came to one of my closest coworkers and she said, it makes me so sad that you look so relieved right now. She said, "I'm, I'm so sad to lose you. She's like, but this is exactly, she's like, you look so relaxed right now. And that's, that's pretty much been the, the vibe of the last couple of weeks. Um, I, August 22nd will be pretty surreal when everyone's back at school for the first day um, that surrounds me. So I'm not sure how I'll feel that day. Um, but, but right now, it's, I feel like this is, this is what I need to be doing. I've spent a lot of my time the last couple of weeks in a similar fashion to what we're doing right now, just um, my Instagram stories and IGTV stories have all been geared towards um, helping parents, just educating parents on what you can do the summer before your child goes to kindergarten that really matters. And it's, it's not learning sight words and it's not skill and drill. It's just not. Um, and then some, some moments and situations when you're, the school year is going, that your child's teacher and you may not be speaking the same language and kind of diffusing some of those conversations that I came up with or I encountered in my career and just helping parents understand because it's a lot of lingo and and things that we throw at parents as educators that I never really paid attention to until I was able to take a step back this summer and know that I wasn't going back and think, you know, a lot of these situations could have been avoided if there was just time where someone could do like a manual for, you know, what school is like, because I can't imagine not knowing and, and sending my child to school and not knowing what, what the car pickup line is like or right. what the policy is for birthdays or, um, you know, I have an advantage because I knew exactly when field trips were coming up because I planned them or I, you know, I worked with, with those with those grade level teachers. And so I knew what was coming up beforehand. And if I didn't turn in a a form on time, her teacher would be at my door because I work there. Um, So it's a lot. And I I think we just need to, on both sides, give each other a lot of grace and know that we're doing the best that we can um, on both sides. And your, your kids are, the kids that we're serving as parents and educators, they haven't changed. They all want the same thing. They just want to be heard. Um, they want to, they want to know if the answer is no, or the answer is, you know, not right now. Why? They just want to know why. And usually when you tell them why, that's a respect thing. Um, you've given them a piece of, you know, of the, of the power to know, know the why. Um, well, it sounds like you, it sounds like to me that for you, you absolutely made the right choice to get out of the classroom. It just wasn't, it wasn't going to work. And yet it still seems like you care passionately about kids and parents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that'll be the, that is, I, I feel like that's kind of how my, my career ended was just really more, more in, invested in social emotional health of, of everyone involved because we're not doing a great job of taking care of teachers and 
in turn, we're not doing a great job of taking care of kids in the most fundamental ways. And I, I don't think that's a school thing, and I don't think it's a parent thing. I think it's a, a human thing. As we wrap up, is there anything else that you think these dads need to know? For dads in particular, um, dating a, a single dad <laughs> um, who always, he always says he doesn't really, he leaves it to mom. I just leave it to her. Um, that's a mom thing. My, my child absolutely adores her father. And the times that he's able to, to be involved and, and do those things, it's going to feel uncomfortable. Um, especially, I feel like we have as a society made the school environment a mom thing. Um, you are going to go for lunch and go out on the playground. You, you will feel like, like an NFL football star. Um, it's going to be awkward, I'm sure. It's going to feel uncomfortable. You're not going to know maybe right away how to sign into the office or where the classroom is. That's okay. Um, you are going to, to get so much respect from the educators in that building um, and, and from those kids. So I, I think just putting yourself out there as much as you can. Um, a lot of kids in your child's class probably need to see a positive male role model. Um, so the, the good that you're doing outweighs the potentially uncomfortable <laughs> feeling that you may have. Awesome. Well, Jessica, thank you for taking the time to join us. I appreciate it. And I wish you all the best of luck, especially as August rolls around and, and things are just going to be a little bit different. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. What an interesting conversation. And, you know, the reason I reached out to her was as a dad and as a parent, I was curious on why a veteran teacher would leave and what she was experiencing. So I, I appreciate her honesty and her willingness to share. And I appreciate your willingness to listen and just be curious yourself. And so, you know, as we go back to school this year, there's some things on my mind. Number one, we have no idea what those teachers are experiencing inside the school what's happening from an administrative standpoint, what the state expects, what the other parents are telling them, and what's going on in their own lives. So just being kind to them is going to help them out a lot. Partner with them. And she told you the examples. And, and this is one for me. It's like, I want to go on every field trip and be really involved in the classroom. And really, one way I can partner is turn stuff in on time and trust that what the teacher's telling me is really happening and realizing we're on the same team. So if we can work together with those teachers and help support them in whatever way is best, while there's going to be some parents that are there every day, uh, some parents who aren't going to be there every day, it doesn't mean we cannot all partner. So valuable information. I trust that you got value out of it as well. Well, we wrap up the podcast the way we wrap up every podcast and that is we get the thoughts of my seven-year-old Naomi um, in the kids corner and this week she's talking about how you can help people not necessarily talking about teachers just how you can help everybody so here's Naomi with the kids corner what are the kids thinking time to find out in the kids corner with your host Naomi hello this is Naomi Shaw and today we're going to talk about helping others like if they if something falls on the floor, you might want to pick it up for them because if they're old and they need help, we can help them because, I mean, it won't, it's not a bad thing to do. That's it for Naomi's Corner. Have a great day. Bye. Great advice from Naomi. Help them. It's not a bad thing to do. She did this the other day at the grocery store. A guy dropped some of his groceries and she just went over and helped pick them up. I'm so proud of her. Maybe that's what inspired that podcast. I have no idea. 
Listen, I know it's been a long one today. Thank you so much for listening. We value you. We appreciate you. If you've gotten value out of this, will you rate us on whatever platform you're listening and share it with a friend? That would be awesome. Maybe even leave a review. We really appreciate that. And then you can follow us on all your social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just search Positively Dad. We'll be there. And I'd like to hear your feedback. I love talking to you. Email me at james at positivelydad.com. Then make sure you check in on Thursday. We'll have another one of our dad talk episodes where we talk to just a dad about being a dad and trust that those are adding value to you as well. Again, I appreciate you listening to Positively Dad. I'm James Shaw, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.